Content warning. The movie we're talking about tonight has discussions of sexual assault, and so will this episode. Also, this movie is, like, really a movie where you don't want to know what happened before you see it. So, like, heavy spoiler warning, go watch it before you listen to this episode. Why don't you, why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Um, does Barto know about my milk phobia? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page about how much I hate certain things. It's, did Was there milk at all in this? Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, there was. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool that you... <laughs> how was that? Fucking horrible. Like, not as bad as I kind of thought it would be because I'm so grossed out by, like, a carton of it that this was like the same look it just <laughs> like adding a hair on it is zero percent grosser <laughs> it's not grosser because it's already like horrible to me um so not as bad as i thought it would be but it was it did dawn on me after i picked it like wow i really uh put myself through this again like what am i doing hmm when uh you first saw this you got mad at me for not warning you about the milk <laughs> I don't know if I was actually mad at you. No, but no. I mean, I think it was a joke, but you were totally. jokingly mad at me. Yeah. You did just say, just go see it. <laughs> just go see it, which was an awesome fucking call. <laughs> we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, it's fucking gross ass shit, folks. Yeah. So which is grosser to you? The bottle or the the breastfeeding? Oh, God, that's such a weird question. I hate this so much. <laughs> I think the bottle is grosser for me. Yeah? I think because of probably, the hair? too, because I could see it. Oh, because of the drip. Yeah. I mean, there was the hair, and then the bottle itself was, like, really gross. And uh, um, while she didn't have the greatest breasts, uh, at least it was straight from the <laughs> source. <laughs> at least it was straight from the source. So... I feel like it was being as tainted. <laughs> she wasn't like lactating though, right? Then none of that. That I don't think that was actually. I, did he get? Oh, I assume she was. I assume she had people in there I, making it just needed all the time. I assume she was too. How else is she getting milk? Oh yeah, I think that was. <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> I just sort of assumed that she was just going through the motions there. Yeah, I'm going to go with the bottles actually grosser to me. And I think partially because, like, I've, I'm grossed out by bottles, too. They're so, like, when I my little sister was born, I fucking hated the cabinet that had her bottles in it. Like, I didn't want to go anywhere near it. So <laughs> Whoa. just even thinking about this is disgusting to me. This feels yeah. like, <sighs> man, that feels like so, like, there's, like, a certain part of you that's kind of unlocked by the knowledge that the the cabinet of your sister's bottles was like a, a site of, uh, of trauma and distress. That's like totally clean 
not used ones that were have nothing to do with me. I was just like, oh god, I don't want to. That yeah, Ugh. something's wrong with me. Freud probably has a lot to I say about. I was going this. to say, man, <laughs> there was a time in high school when I completely forgot his fear of milk. So for his birthday, I bought him a bunch of milk, and he got really mad at me and thought I was <laughs> fucking with him. But I just forgot he had a fear of milk. I thought it was just what? a good, <laughs> good You know present. how bros just buy milk for each other? I thought it was a, it's a good present. It's a, a terrible present. present. That's a terrible present for someone who isn't afraid of milk. That's a terrible birthday present for anyone except, like, your friend with, like, a weird, I, I don't know, who milk kink but even then it's kind of strange because then you're like making it front and center like "Ah, i know this thing about you don't Uh, kink shame i'm not Um, it just would look like you are to this person who you bought all this milk for who else are you buying milk for who wants (laughs) milk i want my friends to have strong bones did you really do this no no okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if I had a time machine <laughs> right after killing Hitler and uh, making more Gamera movies this would be my uh, number three with a bullet get <laughs> rabbit milk for his birthday <laughs> and uh, I don't not want, know that he was afraid of milk so bad <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. We're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Charlie, aka Dogvolt. And I'm Bardo. And I'm still like really grossed out. And today we're talking about 2022's Barbarian. Uh, and next time, coming up, in case you want to be prepared, we are talking about the 1976 King Kong, which I'm really excited about. Have you all seen that yet? I have not. Nope. Whoa. All right. That's going to be a fun one. And we are not doing the three-hour TV cut, despite all of our fans clamoring for it. (laughs) Um, Charlie, you want to tell us what Barbarian's about? Oh, boy, do I. Our intrepid hero, Tess, has ordered up an Airbnb in Detroit to stay at while interviewing for a job. She pulls up to her temporary digs in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a dilapidated neighborhood that's been left behind by those clowns in Washington, only to find that the house has been double-booked with Keith Skarsgård. Despite the crazy and creepy situation, the whole thing turns out to be a great meet-cute, and after a successful job interview, everything is looking up for tests. That is, until she has to go and ruin it all by needing toilet paper. If America was either a bidet country or, like me, a be-natural country, the horrors to come would not be. Alas, Tess feels the need to hunt down a new role, and in doing so, she discovers a secret passage in the basement. Do you think that she has a thing for clean sheets because she just assumes everybody shits the bed like her? That... Oh no, she needed toilet paper. Sorry, continue. Sorry. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think you're onto something there, though. That she does. We'll get it. We'll get it. We're getting into it. (laughs) AJ is a shithead rapist actor who happens to be the landlord of the B&B. His world has come crashing down as as consequences rear their head, and he needs to scrounge up legal funds. So he goes to Detroit to to sell off some property. 
While at his house on Barbary Street, he discovers a secret passage in the basement. This secret passage these characters found, a secret passage that is of course ignored by those clowns in Washington, ultimately leads to death, despair, some frothy battles of milk, and a history going back to the Reagan years, a history of torture, evil, and horror, a history that will now rear its head towards both the deserving and the undeserving. All things considered, I've had worse Airbnbs, at least this one didn't charge a cleaning fee. It's Barbarian, baby. So I picked this movie because I had a really good time. I went to see this movie blind in the theater, having no idea what it was about or anything, and had an awesome theater experience. Um, But I'm kind of mostly curious first to hear what you thought, Barto, because Charlie and I had already talked about it and seen it before I picked it. But this was your first time, right? How how often are you guys talking without me? Because it... Um, yeah, I don't even know if we were talking to you when this movie came out. <laughs> I think we were. I think we were chatting, man. Uh, <clears throat> Here and there, yeah. <laughs> Not every time we start, I, mean, I saw a movie. <laughs> then one of the other one told him to go see. Anyway, um, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was dark and grisly and all those good things. There were. So, okay, I think this is a really good movie. There were a lot of things that, like, in my notes, I was writing, like, oh, he's doomed. Oh, something is about, like, the first, like, big whoa moment where it, where it gets to, uh, uh, where we cut to, what's the actor's name? I'm sorry. Where we cut to AJ. Justin Long? Yeah. Um, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But like I had this moment where I was like, wait, there's an hour of this movie left. Like <laughs> something is about to like really shift and change. Um, and I think part of that just came from like this repeated chant of like, don't know anything before you go into the movie. And so I had <laughs> this feeling that like something about the structure, you know, it's not the film's fault that this happened. But there were like a number of things like like when um you know, when he he picked up the gun in the in the tunnel and Tess came back, I'm like, ah, she's gonna get shot. And when as soon as the homeless guy was like, We're safe here, I'm like, he's doomed. You know, and I have all totally. these little But that isn't to say this movie wasn't a fucking blast so much fun it was technically like so cool i i kept having this like do i want to see the creature this do i want to see mom this much but i did it was like she was weird as fuck and i don't know i thought it was great awesome movie hell yeah what about you charlie first of all yeah so i saw it in the theaters that i know anything about it and uh i thought it was great it was it's a very very fun movie and watching it again so I think it's a fun, good time. A very solid horror movie. Not the type of movie you'd expect from uh, one of the whitest kids you know to direct. Uh, but it's a very cool and unique movie. And I think it's a really good time. All three times I've watched it. You can definitely see his history of being a, 
uh, comedy guy kind of seep into the uh, seep in through its pores, seep it's out through its pores. Funny. It's funny, and yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and comedy people are so good at timing, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of really good timing in this movie for sure. But yeah, it's a good movie, and you know what? I'll say it: it's a good pick. Um, <laughs> Also, like all that time when I was working on my synopsis when we were talking in the beginning, I was trying to fight, find ways to put in those clowns in Washington, um, and I don't think I should have done that. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Um, always bring them up, Charlie. Don't leave them out of this. Ah, uh, we are a political innocent. podcast. You're right. You're right. Yeah, and we're just going to be talking about horror, no politics the whole time, so mm-hmm. you might as well throw it in there. Um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Barta, with like the framing, like to me, when I watched it, the only reason that I like don't want people to know about it is because I love the beginning tension with the Airbnb. You're like, is this guy the bad guy? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, is uh, Keith the bad guy? And then it's like, new things just keep opening up that like give you hints that maybe there's something wrong with the situation with Keith and you keep thinking that and then it kind of mirrors that opening up with like the doors opening and one door opens and you're like oh there's a basement and then the rope and another door opens and you're like oh there's a fucking dark room and then another door opens and you're like there's a fucking camera and then another and it just keeps going t- to where the fact that i had no idea what was happening was just so awesome during all of that it was such a great theater experience or just movie watching mm. experience to have no idea um but it was also kind of scarier to me on the second watch like things like that door opening when she's asleep and the sound of the mother like laughing like you know what's happening this time and it's way creepier yeah um, i can so see it, that it did work really well on a rewatch but i came out of this movie and as i often do i was like that was really good that was really smart i feel like that was good and smart enough that they were trying to say something and i don't know what it is because i was just riding along and i had like one thing before i was like Hey, let's like the whole time since I saw it in theaters to when I suggested a couple weeks ago, I was like, I have one thing that I think this movie's trying to talk about and I don't even fully get it. And then rewatching it, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much going on in this movie. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to to say what I think things are and then also ask what y'all think some things are because I, it's there's a lot. Again, the intro to me, the, it was really the first act that, I thought it was all really well done and I felt the tension, but I also like, as soon as I saw, I heard him like, can I offer you some tea? And then can I offer you some wine? I'm like in my brain immediately. I'm like, this is a red herring. They're trying to trick me. Keith is good. Sure. Like I just like from the moment that interaction started, I'm like, this is a lie. The film is trying to lie to sure. me, and I don't know why I felt that. And I, again, I don't think it's the fault of the filmmaking. I think it's the fault of so much talk about just like don't just don't say anything about this movie. That I thought like whatever they're sure. showing me at, at first mm. is not what this is. Um, I had an inkling, but I wasn't sure. You I know, felt, I felt the same way, but I don't think it was because of hearing beforehand you shouldn't know anything about it i just i mean maybe that's just the way my brain works from watching so many movies but uh also possible i'm i'm always suspicious of things like when that when the unhoused person like chased her i'm like oh he's he's not like trying to do anything to her he's trying to warn her about something yeah um and 
And yeah, same I, with I, uh, offering the cheese and stuff. I was like, sorry. Oh, I was automatically like, yeah, I don't think. I think it uh, is trying to trick us here. But so. to me, doesn't that also then become a thing you think is a trick? Like if it, <laughs> I definitely was like, oh, I. Sure. They're trying to make me think he is, and then I'm like, oh, I'm thinking he's not so much. What if he is? Where yeah. it went back and forth for me, at least. And like when he's in the hallway going, don't go that way, don't go that way. Even then, at least in the theater, I there was a part of me that was like, I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure he's a good guy. But now, like, why is he bringing her the wrong way? I don't know for sure. And then bash, 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 bash. And that was like a very satisfying way to find out for me. At, I'm, I'm right I, there I with you. I still don't know. I'm sorry. I still don't know why he said don't go that way. (laughs) Trauma. Like total fucking fear out of nowhere. Like is my Yeah, once we hit the hallway, I'm like, oh no, I don't know what's going on in here anymore. And (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh but yeah. Very cool movie. I again it sounds like I'm like I hope it doesn't sound like I'm complaining about this film because I thought it was great. Uh, I had so much fun. No, you're just bragging about how smart you are. Yeah, it's fine. It's just, I'm just, <laughs> my brain is just too big for Barbarian 2022. I guess let's start with, I'm going to start with the thing that I thought after first thinking about this movie. And I don't fully know where it goes, but my first political thought about this movie was, okay, they're saying something about the people exploiting Detroit. Like, all three guests who we see guests quote unquote who go into the house and including the landlord and get captured or killed are exploiting the exploiting Detroit for their own gain the bad things that have happened in Detroit right industry general motors went into Detroit then they fucking left everybody got fired property values plummeted poverty etc people know the story of Detroit we have Tess are, or first we have Keith a white musician who's searching for basically destroyed neighborhoods where people have lost everything to find cheap housing where they can start an artist community. Not like, and I'm not saying these people are evil. I'm saying this is a part of the like gentrification coming in, trying to find the places, the, the way that Tess put it when she's talking about the documentaries, the artists that have come here in the last 10 years, set up houses and creative communities on the edges of, well, you know, where the houses are basically free. Um, that's what he's there for. She's there one level on top of that, of someone who is making documentaries for artsy folks about the people doing that. So they're probably not making movies mostly for people in those communities, but they're about people who are now using those communities. And then you have AJ, guy who owns an Airbnb, bought cheap housing, is now charging more for it. We know how Airbnbs are exploitative. So basically the three people who are being captured, attacked, or killed that we see, not the people that Frank is capturing and doing whatever to, are all have that in common. Um, I don't quite know what it means, but are y'all with me so far? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So the way I would frame that, or I, I think of, sorry, let me take a step back. Yeah. You know, this is a movie at to me at some level about not necessarily just Detroit, but about like what the sort of leftover violence 
from the eighties in like a lot of ways, you know, like, you know, the, the first part is like a, a series of red herrings that kind of almost feel like, um, they're erased once you get to the second act, you know, you have this, you're, they're building a world where it's like, who can you trust in today's world? Like strangers, you can't trust the homeless. The you know the people might spike to their drinks. Uh, uh, even the the super hip like I love Detroit filmmaker. It's like well, that place you are is dangerous, you know. And then, but it turns out like none of that danger is real, and it's like the actual danger is something like more. Um, hidden and below the surface and you know figuratively and literally but you know the drain the danger comes from this sort of you know when we meet frank the homeowner the 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 uh, assuming the barbarian you know when his neighbor is talking to him about how the city's gone to hell or the the neighborhood's gone to hell presumably because uh a a black person probably moved on their block, you know, is sort of what that was implied by that. Oh, I fully assumed it was not that. I assumed it was GM is leaving. There's no jobs anymore. That's maybe you're right. Oh, but both are connected. Right. Fully. But, and, and Frank says, I'm not leaving. And what Frank is in my mind is not so much, a white person who didn't leave, but he's sort of the, uh, he's not the white guy who stayed. He is, he is all the white people that left. He's the unions that were broken up, the jobs that were taken away, the move from single family earners to dual income, the huge transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. Like that's what Frank is. And he's like the violent, the stain that's been here since the eighties which is to say all of that shit that she is afraid of in the first act, all of those anxieties and all of those fears and all that stuff is also stuff that comes from like the Reagan eighties, like the fear of drugs, stranger danger, you know, the, the sort of like fear of inner cities, you know, that existed obviously before Reagan, but really got honed in the Reagan eighties you know, where those all, all of this stuff kind of came from the same place and our characters could be from any, could be doing this in any city. It doesn't need to be just Detroit, but it's like oh, a sure. really, like all of these people exist in every single city and are all dealing with it in very different ways. You know, like, I feel like I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry, but like, um, no, finish your thought. You know, like Tess and AJ are two people who are, you're right, both like coming into D- Detroit and taking something from it ultimately. Uh, but they're like, I think, I assume, coming from two very different situations because they both face like the exact same test and come out from it very, very differently. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot there. I'm, I agree with a lot of it. I think one of the cool things about this movie is that a lot of the things in it work on multiple levels. Like, I think you can see 
the red herrings and the like like the um andre the homeless guy her being afraid of him and uh keith her being afraid of him as you know fears that are unfounded or you could see those as very real fears about the patriarchy that uh that that's a whole nother section i'll i'll get into in abusers and i sorry you want to qual- i was just gonna something? i was gonna clarify that i don't think her fears were unfounded at all i thought she was thoughtful sure. and mm-hmm. and all of that i i don't want to be Got like it. those okay. are made up just things. in this situation they weren't where the real danger was because okay because that's the only hang up i had with what i how i interpreted what you said is I fully agree. I love your interpretation of Frank and what he is because that's my biggest what the hell spot. I have some thoughts of, you know, he's somebody who wanted this American dream and now it's being taken away and this is his like way of trying to hold on and it's horrifying and it the American dream is fucked up or whatever. Partially and it's definitely based in Reagan shit. I love that. But also the movie is very clearly saying some of the danger is not hidden away. Some of it is very loud driving in a convertible in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's multiple layers to it for sure. As a side note about the uh, her fears being legitimate but ultimately uh, misplaced. Um, so I listened to a podcast called Colors of the dark where they interviewed the director after this came out um i listened to it back then and then i re-listened to a little bit of it today didn't have the time to get through it but uh yeah he talks about how his this movie started where he wanted to write a scene where somebody was giving off um like every possible red flag and so basically the movie just started of him just making that first scene and then uh yeah just he wanted to make um keith give off like every possible red flag and if i remember correctly like later in the interview he says that something along the lines of how he wanted to explore like what if this person's giving off um you know if your fears are completely founded but ultimately you're just wrong and there's something else that's God damn it, I wish I'd re-listened to it. Um, no, dude, that no, totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to jump into some of the patriarchy stuff because I feel like we keep touching on it. And like, you know, those, both of those people who are, you know, good people as far as the movie goes are trying to help her, but are also part of the patriarchy. Like we didn't, we all grew up in that. Andre calls her little girl. And fucking uh, uh, Keith calls her young lady. Like, he's trying to be gentlemanly, but gentlemanliness also comes from this long history of male dominance. Like, it's all tied in to this stuff where it's like, you know, that that is a danger, even though neither of them had dangerous intent and probably would have harmed her. And it's that's one of the really fucking interesting things about the language in this movie. It's like... I don't feel like there's that much dialogue, but it all feels very purposeful that way, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and even, like, when, like, in my mind, Keith was an awesome dude who was doing, like, the best he could in this situation. And, like, basically, other than going down there when he probably shouldn't and then wanting to run the wrong way because he had fucking lost his mind, mm. basically did as good as you could. But yeah. also, like, 
a woman was coming up there telling him this thing was horrible, but because she couldn't articulate it well, he's like, stop freaking out. It's just a bed and a bucket. Like, and then he like, won't let her leave for a sec. He's like literally physically stopping her in ways that like, I get, I might do that. But I also am part of the patriarchy and part of the problem is that I have that ingrained in me, you know? And so it's so interesting that all the layers of that and that they're really calling it out. And then you have the smooth talker Hollywood guy who really is, who adds a whole other layer that we'll get into, you know? Yes, this is definitely, um, I mean, one of the cool things about this movie is like right away when he's like, can I make you some tea? Your, uh, I think most people at least brain goes like, oh, is he going to fuck with the tea? Is he going to do, mm. you know, like a- every like nicety he does, you have this like air of suspicion about him. And part of that is because we know we're watching a horror movie. Right. But a woman in a fucking r- with a stranger dude has to act like she probably feels like she, you always have to worry, wonder if you're in a fucking horror movie, you know? Yep. Yeah, but he's also fully aware of that, which is yes, kind of yeah. interesting too. He's just as aware as the as the audience. Like, oh, yes, fuck, she rightfully thinks that I might be fucking with her tea. And he acts it so well. The Scars Gods are all fucking mm. great, but he acts it so well where you can tell that the layer of him being aware of it makes it creepier because it's mm-hmm. making him nervous yeah. and stuff. And then you can also tell that when she wakes him up in the middle of the night and he's not having the layers in front of him, you see what he's like when he's just woken up and it's very different. Um very good acting. I just want to throw in there because I mentioned it. There's a ton in this movie, and I don't know what it means, but of people using different voices for different situations, and it's all very, very good. Um, like her yelling on the front porch, like, God damn it, God damn it, and then the phone answers, and she's like, hi, I'm here to see uh, if anyone's <laughs> home. And, like, him talking differently <laughs> to her there, and then AJ talking one way to his parents, and then, like, oh, yeah. You know, I just hold on one second. Hey, bro, what's up? Like, there's a lot of how our <laughs> lives are layered and yeah. we play different characters in different situations. And I don't fully know what it means, but it's well done. With playing the characters, that's interesting because the person who's least interested in playing character is uh, Frank. You know, he goes to the store and he's like, well, fuck, I guess I'll say I have a baby and... uh yeah, yeah, need diapers. He's just like the least. Except he, when he's Carlos. He's... What? Except when he's Carlos. When he wears even, the fucking. Even when he's. Oh, yeah, when he's wants to open the window in the woman's house. He's right. pretending he's somebody else. When he has something that he really needs. Yeah, but then when yeah. his, like, his neighbor is like, trying to be all buddy buddy with him. Played yeah, by the great right. comedian Kurt Braunhaller, by the way. Um, Frank is yes. just like, okay, whatever. He's he he doesn't he yeah he doesn't feel the need to actually change his voice or anything he just no. changes what he's saying a little yeah no you're right yeah he's not doing fake niceties with the neighbor at all mm-hmm. and the neighbor is doing it times a hundred like so fucking good yeah Frank we're moving uh, for sale <laughs> you know it's so well done uh, I didn't realize that until my last watch I was like man this guy sounds like a cr- a lot like Kurt Braunhaler. Um and then I double did a double take. It's like, oh shit, that is Kurt Braunhaler. So Totally. Thumbs up for, for Kurt Braunhaler playing the the neighbor. Oh, I, I don't know if um 
this is exactly relevant to what you're saying, but it, you, that that point, Rabbit, made me think of uh, People Two: The Reckoning by uh, Andrew Jackson Jihad. Oh, and how weird! That, I um, never listened to them, and I've been thinking of them all week. How fucking weird! That is weird. But they have that they have that song that's um. It says there's a there's a bad man in everyone, no matter who we are. There's a rapist and a Nazi living in our tiny hearts. Child pornographers and cannibals and politicians too. There's someone in your head waiting to fucking strangle you. So here's to you. Uh, and just this sort of idea of like yes, like. There's like who we are in front of other people and this sort of like mean person. Um, and all our uh, all I... the characters are doing it. Um, and I actually think I'm going to come back to this point, but I think this you've, you've touched on something here that um, is really fundamental in how this movie is structured. Um, but we'll come back to it. That perfectly tied into something that's a big thought I had in this movie. So can I jump into that, y'all? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so one of... Okay, the character of AJ is a real trip, and there's a lot going on to it, but AJ doesn't think he's a rapist. He has basically two man-to-man conversations in this movie. One of them is with his bro, who's got his back. Like, you're my boy. I'm going to believe anything you say, but like, man to man, what happened? And he says, uh, you know, like she said, no, blah, blah, blah. We all saw it. But then he says, like, it wasn't I what it wasn't like I said, come here, bitch. I'm going to rape you because in his mind, mm-hmm. a rapist is someone else. A rapist is someone with evil in their heart who would be like, I'm going to fucking rape you. A rapist isn't a guy who's horny who's persuasive, who, you know, that's the hardest thing about these fucking, like, about hurting people is we don't think we could do it because we think it's this other bad guy who could do it. So that's his first one-on-one where he's explaining to himself and to his friend that he's not a rapist, even though someone said no and he was persuasive, etc. Then he has a one-on-one with Frank, which is very different. And he's like, hey, man, are you okay? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's not really a man-to-man because Frank is barely conscious. But then... He watches the videos and Frank is his idea of a real fucking rapist. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you? Because he's now seeing what a real rapist is. And I think there's a big part of that scene where he's like, I can't be that guy. Like, I, you know, I people are calling me this in the fucking newspaper right now. But I'm watching, this is what that guy is. And I think it's a confrontation of those two ideas that, like, are those two both... Sorry, this is a very intense fucking point. But those two things are are hitting up at the same time. And part of his, like... I don't know. He's confronted with that right then. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I don't, I don't think he thinks he is. But this movie is so gnarly because we can talk about the end later. But the end is saying a lot about what kind of a person he is, right? Um, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know when we want to talk about that, but anyway. Okay. So I am, I am going to talk about this. Could, could, is it okay yeah. if I go on a, like one more 
tangent. And then this is the last real tangent I have, and then I'm I'm done tangenting. Bro, t- this whole podcast is just tangents. This is a nod to Psycho. This movie, in two different ways, makes it clear, to me at least, that this huh. is looking at Psycho um, and saying, like, we're doing this again. Psycho, the first 20 minutes, they kill who they think is the main character, who your the audience feels is the main character. I- I was thinking that in this last rewatch, it's like, oh, that's very psycho the way they kill off Skarsgård. Well, and they... I haven't seen Psycho in a long time. Is the main character the one who dies in the shower? I mean... It, or the one we uh, think is the main character? Yeah, yeah, so she... I think she was even billed, like, at the top. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, she's killed off really early in the movie. Oh, they ripped that off from Scream. And <laughs> and it was, like, a huge shock at the time. People had yeah. no idea that was... Oh, I didn't know that angle. Okay, sorry. And and so and this, you know, like closer like forty minutes in, um, we don't know what happens to our main characters, and there's a huge shift in the in the film. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing that's like Psycho, and I'm, I, uh, I went back and watched a three minute scene from I believe it was the Pervert's Guide to Cinema. Whatever the first, oh, the yeah, the first one. Where he, he talks about Psycho because uh, it made me made me think of this, where the way he breaks down the house in, or the Bates Motel in Psycho, is that it is the three levels of like um, subjectivity. Like the house itself is the the ground floor is the ego the upstairs is the super ego and the downstairs is the id this house functions the same way and i'm gonna give like a really brief explanation for why i think that is and how it did and can i give a quick explanation of what those three terms are for folks who don't know i would love that okay um so the id is generally the like uh, for lack of a better term, like the animalistic, like part of you, your desires, your like what you like, what you want, kind of unfiltered. Uh, the super ego is like your the the voice in your head talking morality and guilt at you, like no, you shouldn't do that. You know, you should. And the ego is the one I'm the least kind of sure on. It's just kind of where they meet, and that's your conscious self, kind of. Um, is how I think of it. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a pretty fine explanation. So in Psycho, the ground floor of the Bates Motel is where Norman Bates behaves like basically like a normal son. Um, and up upstairs, um, the super ego, which again is like the moral center of the three modes, uh, it dispenses criticisms, prohibitions, inhibitions. Uh, in Psycho, Bates's mother, who is not really alive, she's just a corpse, and it's just him talking. You know, is is basically like um, barking orders and insults at him, but he's doing it, you know, to himself. And uh, the id, which. Um, yeah, like the reservoir of illicit drives is sort of how I, I think of it. 
um, that's the the cellar where it's the mother is eventually taken, where it's discovered that she's she's dead. Now in this, there are also basically three levels. There's the ground floor. Um, there is the basement floor, and then there's the underground tunnel. Um, to, in my reading of this, the the basement, like where the toilet paper is, is kind of like the ego. No one else is there. Every time we see a character there, they're alone. They're basically no social pressures. They f- f- function as like normally as they can, given the situation of like being locked in a basement or discovering something weird. You know, there's nothing that strange going on. The ground floor of the house, the superego is much stranger, you know, cause you have like Keith who's got all these like weird niceties, like awkwardly offering tea and wine and correcting himself and like overcorrecting because he's making like tests like feel weird and anxious and well, awkward. and both of them, right? Well, and they're like, "What's the right thing to do in this situation?" Yeah, yeah, her, yeah. No, yes. this is great. And her sense of fear, self protection, self preservation, and like her awkwardness around her own hesitancy, and then even like AJ to a certain extent deals with this. He's calling his mother and he's calling the the girl who he raped and like apologizing for you know whatever he did wrong. He doesn't doesn't quite seem to get that he's done something as wrong as what he has but like he's still dealing with it sort of and then the id well sorry sorry i don't want to interrupt but just even and even if he doesn't get it the guilt which is a superego thing is driving that phone yes, call yes absolutely partially and the looking out for himself and all yes. that but yes very superego and then the id the basement is it's a, the tunnel acts as like a site of pure instinctive impulses, you know, like raising children, you know, and violence. There's nothing else there. The mother's whole life has been like this binary of Frank's violence and a fucking TV screen playing a video of how to breastfeed, <laughs> you know, and that's it, you know, and AJ discovers his own id in there in the form of yeah. Frank and his horrifying video collection. Whoa. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's wild, you know? <laughs> Good point, yeah. Um, but yeah. That works really I well. I think it works so well. And I feel like they had to have done this on purpose because it just lines up so nicely. The th- well, and one of the interesting things about, you know, we all grew up in this society, whatever. It's like we have these things subconsciously ingrained in us where even if it wasn't on purpose, it's because you've seen so many other things yes. where that's how it's portrayed. And like Freud was reading us and blah, 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 blah. Um, damn. Yeah, that is really good. And that that says a lot about – because like Frank and AJ's meeting – was kind of confusing to me all the time. Frank in himself was kind of confusing to me all the time. And he still is. But that at least gives like a really good like, oh, it's, it is AJ confronting the worst part of himself that, you know, yes. um, the worst part of all of us, you know, um, or at least himself, but you know, uh, wild. And, and like everything else in this movie, he fails at that too. You know, like he fails at everything in this movie. Um, what do you mean he fails at that? 
he fails to recognize himself, I think, in oh, any sure. meaningful yeah, way. Yeah. And we see that through the last scenes, yes. yeah. So why do you all think Frank killed himself? Because uh, AJ said that he was going to call the cops and they're going to come. And he was just like, fuck, I'm going to be found out. Um, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's the third time I watched it. I was like, okay. I hadn't really mm. noticed that. I think that that's why. But it it also it felt kind of like quick. You know, like you could wait till mm. you're sure the cops are coming. Or that's like. True. Um, but I think you're but, probably right. But I just wondered if there was more to it because that meeting seemed so full of weight and he had been through so much shit. I mean, his own decision, you know, not like poor guy, but like, yeah. oh, my God, you've done so much for so long in this fucking place. That's it. A guy says the cops are coming. It just felt like it threw me off a lot the first time I watched it. It felt a little cheap. It felt like an mm -hmm. easy out or a weird ending, especially... Andre's like, there's worse things in that house than that than that woman, and then the guy's gone real quick. I'm like, oh god, what is he gonna do? But I I also wonder if like maybe he realizes this is somebody I guess um, important or something that they might be looking for, uh, mm. in the sense that he's I don't know. I cause I'm wondering like how much interactions these days he has with people seems like back when he was more mobile, he was in charge of everything that that went yeah. down and would go into the place. Now he's immobile. There seems to be this guy who's, I don't know, more, he's pretty, seems pretty put together. I mean, he, he didn't spend a lot of time down in there, like, like say, Tess or something. Um, uh, so he's probably, I don't remember how he looks, but not super dirty or anything um white guy talking about yeah how he's calling uh, the, he's gonna call the cops and i don't trying know trying to be helpful about, too yeah weirdly. i know and then he talk about how it's also like his property and stuff like that so maybe the guy realizes that this is somebody that'll be noticed in some way sure sure i was sort of with you rabbit i had this I mean, I think you're probably like correct, uh, Charlie. Um, but I felt like uh, kind of cheap and quick, and like it wasn't um, satisfying at all when he when he killed yeah. himself. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know how satisfying it's supposed to be. No, I mean, but like on any sort of like emotional level mm -hmm. like it didn't make me feel anything to me it seems like it's it's almost foreshadowing aj's death like it sure it, mm -hmm. just like this sort of like rottenness and evil has a lifespan i also think there's elements of you know he's been here yeah since at least the 80s just for, but you know um you don't know how long back, but at least since, you know, Reagan. And he's built this horror dungeon and this atrocity uh, catacombs and, you know, everyone else up and left. And he wasn't, he, in many ways, he couldn't leave because he built this 
horrible atrocities under his house and he's stayed there with it and now he's already withering and dying right there he can't even move he can't even reach and grab a glass of water um that's you know three feet away from his bed and now this guy who's probably never happened before where these where someone just goes into his fucking room and uh, discovers all of his videos there and talks about getting the cops and stuff and he's probably just like ah fuck it it's I'm it's already all up yeah I I I get it plot structurally I guess it just didn't it wasn't satisfying thematically so to me that it, this made me what you just said made me think of something Charlie because like he's i don't i don't know why it's called barbarian i'm assuming he's the barbarian but either way he's the fucking monster right it was barbary street but oh oh wow, wow. Nice catch. <laughs> was nothing on um, the street yeah yeah no you're right i just didn't catch that it was that was tied to that yeah mm. um he's the guy who still lives there the barbarian Any, interesting but he's the fucking bad guy right like we see the yeah. flashback and he is the fucking bad guy yeah, and, even the uh, Andre says, uh, you know, there's yeah. worse stuff, and he, someone worse or whatever in the house, and obviously talking about him. Plot wise, he's a sociopath who's done horrible things. Theme wise, he is the the embodiment of, as you brought up, Barto, like the Reagan era horrors, right? Of like, like I don't know, white society, capitalism, or like the American dream, all these things. Okay, stay with me for a second. When Andre is talking about the mother, he says she's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, which is a very weird way to describe incest that made me think of, like, we've talked about this before, Jean Baudrillard. Like, I was like, am I going too far thinking of, like, a copy of a copy being, like, you know, neoliberalism, our current society. But oh, then, dude. like, thinking about going. it, you, <laughs> you know, there's this flashback to his his fucking suburban neighborhood, and it's like, there's AstroTurf. It's a copy of a lawn, and a lawn is a copy of the grounds of a fucking palace. You know, like, everything's a copy of a copy in this horrible landscape, and so is she. So it is really interesting that the horror dies. The cause dies. The Reagan's dead, but the mother is still, the horror is still there. Like, even killing the barbarian doesn't kill the barbarian anymore because we're seeing the symptoms of of this horrible fucking world everywhere. We're seeing the symptoms of this horrible world. We're seeing the symptoms of Frank every time that Keith says something wrong to Tess. You know, mm-hmm. when when a homeless guy is running up trying to help her, we're seeing the symptoms of this fucked up world because she's afraid of men because men like Frank exist. And so Frank dies and it doesn't change anything. It doesn't make me feel anything. It doesn't make me feel satisfied. Nothing is it doesn't matter because we're still stuck with the mother and the world, you know. The mother who you kind of have to feel bad for. You know, like who is, is, uh, you know, like actually I was thinking of when we were done watching this, when I was done watching this movie, I thought like, this is a great movie for a kaiju podcast because she has that same thing that like you get with a lot of giant monsters where like it's tragic when they go. 
She didn't ask to be who she no, was, where she just was. Like, just like Godzilla. I didn't feel the sense of tragedy when she died that I felt with Rodan, maybe. Right. But I I <laughs> do get what you're yeah, saying. Nice. Yeah, and uh, Tess also feels... I mean, yeah. I think she also emotionally is like, this is, you know, in some ways wrong. Like, this this you're not a bad person necessarily like she she understands that this is just a fucked up thing and um yeah she feels i think she feels bad about it and we're talking about like um i think she feels more oh sorry i think she feels worse about that than she does with about aj easily easily he shoved her off of a fucking water tower too but (laughs) even the mother's desires like we're talking about freud and we're talking about you know the the Mm -hmm. fucking patriarchy even the mother's desires are just her gender role being pushed on her by a fucking VHS and a weird, creepy father slash lover, maybe. Like, she didn't even pick mm-hmm. all the desires that are causing her to do this shit. Plus nature, you know? You know what you said about Keith, his actions being a symptom of, you know, Frank's world of, you know, he's aware of the the... The creepiness of of inherent in his uh yeah i forgot you put it a lot better um no you got it, it. just reminded me of the song Pot- potential rapist by naked ray gun yes where it's basically all about um how you know he the the singer the narrator song is viewed as a potential rapist by women he's walking by at night or something and it's totally legitimate and He's like, yeah, it's fucked up. I totally get it. I would carry a gun if I was the, um, even though I have no intentions of doing anything negative. Negative. It's totally understandable. Why would they? But assume otherwise. Totally. Yeah. And that's a that. thing that AJ doesn't get at all, even though he's already mm-hmm. hurt somebody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is. No, that's not relevant. Um. Yeah, he's AJ's. AJ's fascinating because the the second act is like this. It's he's just like a flip of Tess. He's just like a complete mm-hmm. one eighty of her. This person, Tess, who is this like hyper aware, vigilant black woman who is like fearful of all the things that women, particularly women of color have like reason to be afraid of. And AJ is comically clueless and unaware (laughs) and even unaware that he's a predator. Like he doesn't even seem to know it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and like I, I gotta say, it's interesting yeah. that they're in the same industry, but she's doing documentaries and oh, he's doing a sitcom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, Tess sees that room and she's just like, automatically just freaks the fuck out. She's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. This is fucked up. He sees the room and just cuts to him googling about square footage. <laughs> so <laughs> and what you can claim for property. <laughs> that scene is so amazing because it shows what capitalism does to the brain, which also ties mm-hmm. into the Reagan stuff, but also a lot more. Like I love that scene because the ta- like he Googles quickly and finds out that 
maybe you can mention the space in the ad, which might get you more money, but you can't even count it. But even that little bit makes it so that instead of seeing the horror in front of him, the tape measure is counting his potential money, right? And it's just brilliant. Like, it's going by a shit bucket and a camera and cages with dog food trays in them. And everybody else has been like, what the fuck is this? Oh, my God. And he's like... All he can see, it's like how it rewires your brain. All he can see is the tape measure getting longer and longer and his potential earnings getting more and more. And then as soon as the tape measure gets ripped away is when he's like, oh, fuck, I'm in a dungeon. Like, it's, I love that scene. It's so well done. So good. It's so silly. Yeah. It's so silly. I mean, mm -hmm. it is weird to like, that was very brave. And they walked, you know. I'm I'm a a dude, so my opinion on this is probably not shared by everybody, but I thought they walked this line of like we are following this character and laughing at this character who yeah we also learn within like we're not like one hundred percent positive when we first meet him that he raped somebody sure we. 15 minutes into knowing him we do but we are still like his evil is so banal like it's so stupid and <laughs> it comes from this like this thing that like all of us i think can like recognize as like a certain kind of like evil that just kind of exists and floats around in the world that like you kind of just like have to laugh at how stupid it is that it like gets to exist and and flourish and make tons of money and um i almost want to say like i almost want to shy away from the word evil because it's it's like he thinks that to be a harmful hurtful person you just have to be evil but really it's that you you know aren't thinking about other people and are like just getting what i guess like obviously it's like evil i'm not trying to say it's not evil to no. sexually assault someone at all i'm just trying to say it's not like the kind of evil he thinks it is right and so he doesn't even see the dungeon within himself right he doesn't he's everybody else is like oh my god steps like these are scary and scary things could happen he's like do 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 uh like because he hasn't even seen it inside himself to know that he did you know right yeah and then they do that great thing at the end where all of a sudden he realizes that or air quotes he realizes how bad a person he's been and he doesn't want to be that bad person and a lot of it's kind of like oh maybe he's actually kind of serious here he kind of seems to actually be concerned about Tess and how and being regretful about how fucked up he is and then he just immediately uh will sacrifice her for himself yes. and like oh he maybe he was just realized that society sees him as bad and he doesn't actually see himself as bad and or something like that the great thing about that scene is that he's ping-ponging between worrying about his situation and worrying about the bad thing he did like his situation the 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 mm -hmm. debt he's gonna pay and the like whatever his career and the the pain he caused and it just shows this like first of all he's it's interesting that he's using the situation he's in now as a metaphor for all of that 
and like he's saying all i can do is fix it about having shot tess but he's really talking mm. about having raped someone but then he says there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to fucking go if she wants us she's gonna get us she's never gonna fucking stop which is also about it's about the mother but it's also about right the the article and the person coming after him mm. but he's ping-ponging because it's easy to want to fix shit when there's nothing at stake as soon as there's yeah. something at stake he goes back to the self-preservation, and that's the problem. We can all say, I believe this, I believe that, but when you're backed into a corner and you're scared for yourself, then you find out how you'll really act, and that's all that matters, right? Who cares what you – I mean, unless you say, fuck it, let's hurt people all the time anyway, then it's a whole other layer, but it's really well done. Yeah. It's a little on the nose. Yeah, a little but bit. But it's – yeah, it's a little on the nose, but I do think it's like – quick enough and in this context of this absurd movie that it like i don't know for me it works and the way but it is a little it's so over the top i was as soon as she wakes up he starts blaming her yeah i didn't even <laughs> i didn't even grab you you slipped like it's it just makes you be like oh even if you had any doubt now you know yeah. this is how he's describing the assault as well, well i mean it's it's because Craiger, i think wants you to be delighted when the mother sticks her fingers in his eyes. And so they really, in the moment before he says all the stupid head ass shit that he can to make you go, hell yeah. When she kills Mm -hmm. him. You're right. Yeah. And it's also, I think, you know, the writer's history of being a comedian seeping in of, just this very comedic the way he just automatically starts blaming her as soon as he she wakes up and um yeah it's very funny how much of a piece of shit he is and i also think it's like in we live in an era where most like artsy movies are very postmodern. like they're very like oh what did happen or like oh i'm making a commentary about the commentary about the commentary where like like Is he bad? Is he good? And I'm glad the movie was just like, nope, when you act like that, it's fucking rape and you're a piece of shit. And these people exist and we need to call them out. Like, that's not what most people do with movies anymore. They play it way more safe. And I liked that. Can I I bring up something else about the ending that I just, I got, I Googled, I've never read Jane Eyre. Have you all read Jane Eyre? No. No. AJ finds a copy of it in Keith's luggage. And I thought, what the fuck is that? Oh. What the fuck is that about? Oh, yeah. I forgot about Me that. Me too. In Jane Eyre, I went through all the characters, reading about all the characters, trying to figure it out. Uh, Bertha Antoinetta Mason is a character who's been locked in her attic by her husband and has uh, is described as a violently insane um we're introduced to her. She's like in darkness with wild black hair. Um, it seems to imply that her madness is from like the impurity of her race, uh, perhaps, uh, because Whoa. she is black and white um, and not because she is um, the result of generations of incest. But Bertha dies after throwing herself off of a roof. Well, yeah. hmm. interesting. Anyways, I thought that 
Yeah. yeah. Damn. Read uh read Jane Eyre. Um, this is totally tangential to that. I hope that's okay. Yeah, please. And uh, unless you were trying to go somewhere else nope. with it. Um, I was just trying to look back at the first question I asked y'all about, you know, these three characters that are like the good characters or not the good characters. Uh, two of them are good. And one of them is AJ are all people kind of exploiting the Reagan stuff that's happened or the, the, GM plan or whatever the situation they're part of gentrification all this stuff and I don't have much of a better answer of what that means but I do think it's probably tied into the fact that we've touched on like you know Frank is one part of the patriarchy AJ is another Keith is another even though Keith we're thinking of as like I think is a good guy it is just part of the like complicated landscape we're in now where even the people we're rooting for are trying to survive in ways that like could be considered harmful by some people, you know, or could, are, are harmful in the long run for certain communities or exploiting harm or something. And like, yeah, just that they're just like, there are gradients to, a Frank versus an AJ and how they think of and act out sexual assault or patriarchy. There's gradients in, in all of this stuff that fucking Reagan left us and capitalism hands us, you know, I think that's correct, but I don't know. Maybe I hope someone, I purposely didn't read anything about this movie before talking about it. And I'm kind of curious to hear, I feel like there's something there I'm missing. Yeah, I didn't do, I, I Googled, Jane Eyre and I googled I looked for that scene in the the Zizek documentary but otherwise I didn't read anything about this movie because one yeah. thing we haven't talked about at all is Marcus y'all remember Marcus uh, Marcus that's a cop no Marcus is her I'm assuming boyfriend who's calling oh, and he keeps seeing oh, his phone right. name on the phone and he just doesn't come up again um so all oh, right so she, there's definitely a parallel being drawn here where she's having the conversation with Keith saying, I just need to stop going back. I keep going back. And he says, are you like, are you going to stay locked in a dynamic someone else picked for you? Uh, and then the last line of the movie is her underneath the mother saying, I can't go back in like a sad way to her. So there's definitely a parallel between her being locked in a relationship she didn't want and a dynamic she didn't want and her being locked in a basement um, and feeling bad in like for the mother. There, I don't know. It's it's definitely intentional with the lines being exactly the same, you know. Good catch. Yeah. It's that, that Cloverfield Lane vibe. They're doing the same, uh, making a similar similar thing about relationships similar point right. about relationships that aren't good it does seem a lot easier to say i can't go back to pretending to be your baby in the torture dungeon <laughs> than it does to be like i can't go back to this guy that i have a hard dynamic with i mean <laughs> we're all into different things so i don't know if you can really say which one's easier it's true it's true yeah i mean she gets free milk in one of those situations <laughs> yeah and this is the podcast that loves milk. So, uh, you know, something else that we didn't talk about. Did you have something else to say about Marcus? And I'm just, I'm kind of. Oh off. no, I was a, I was about to jump to you. You go. We might be jumping to the same thing. 
I don't know. You know, I thought this movie maybe it was a little reductive. I thought it was like a pretty uh, woke, woke movie, all in all. And then they very unceremoniously killed the houseless guy that did his best mm. to save them. And I thought that wasn't very woke of it, but I don't know. The just just the way that they did it so gruesomely and shit. I mean, I guess Keith didn't really have it coming either. I guess people who died didn't necessarily have it coming in any way. No, not at all. But like And I think that is fits really well with your Reagan. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he did have it coming thematically. But it was like she tore his arm off and then beat him with it. It was It was played a little funny yeah. almost. Like, oh, she's not coming back here. Like, as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, she's coming back yeah. here. This movie can't trick me four times. Yeah. She's going to bash yeah. through the wall. And then she yeah. did, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was a good effect, pulling his arm off and then beating mm. him with it. Like, that was what they were trying to achieve. They they achieved there. But I thought it wasn't very nice. Um, One thing I will say is, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, woke, I guess, is uh, the how the police are portrayed. Oh, my God. What a scene. <laughs> multiple scenes. I mean. Yeah, multiple scenes. The whole movie is like, the police are not here for this neighborhood. They are here for the rich. They are not here for the insane. They are here for the sane. Right. They are not here for the people who don't appear to have money, you know? Right. Like, well, that was one thing I felt was kind of a little weird is that there's two nice cars in front of this house and the cops aren't like curious about the nice cars at all. Or like, is this your car? <laughs> well, because uh, she looks like that. I mean, it's a little over the top, but to <laughs> me it was like, hey, people who have enough money for this kind of car and this kind of house, I, you're I, one bad night and looking like a certain way away from the police yes. not being your protectors anymore. Yes, uh -huh. amen. Yes. Like, it's just like we were talking about, I kept thinking of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. A guy in a suit running, saying shit's wrong is suddenly a problem, be even though he's not the problem, he's calling out the problem. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No ID? Like... And she even knows it. She says, I'm not a crackhead and I am not a crazy person. I am a woman who has been held prisoner and escaped. If I were a crackhead or a crazy person, then I would understand you ignoring me is the implication. But yeah. I am not. But they think you are. So it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. I just thought it was funny that there's two nice cars in this completely rundown neighborhood and they don't even True. bring that up or question it at all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess I just assumed that they were thinking, oh, this woman's coming after this nice car and this nice house. Like, fuck her. We're not going to help her. You know, but I, yeah. you're right. It is it is an oddity on how. I mean, and ultimately, I'm talking as someone with a, a brain and a conscience. So this is <laughs> sure. theoretically very realistic. Yes. How cops it, it, actually. It also is very reminiscent of this was wisconsin not michigan but uh that story about the guy escaping from jeffrey dahmer and no i almost i was yeah. just about to say that yeah, yeah. It, that's 
that's what blasted through my head when I was watching that scene when like they didn't they didn't believe him. Yeah, there's like a victim that uh, I think he was like in Dahmer's apartment and like he escaped and he went up to some cops and uh, was like freaking out and like oh this guy had me in his apartment and he's like gonna kill me and wants to do these fucking experiments on me um and and then Dahmer comes up and he's like oh this is i think he's like oh this is my lover or something like that and we just had a fight or something oh, like that and the cop's like oh that's go ahead and and the other guy was uh asian yeah filipino maybe and yes i think of course they not, just believe the yeah was he underage yes. too um yeah, and so obviously they're gonna uh, trust the the put together white guy um, who's saying, "Oh, we just had a little fight." Yeah, and then yeah, so then uh, Dahmer went back yeah. with him and killed him. And yeah. It's it's very much also this like person from a marginalized community. You are from a marginalized community, yeah. so your testimony is not compelling yes. mm. to a police officer and you don't have your phone so you don't have a sign that you own capital you don't have your id you don't have government you know verification. it's all the like and you think walking around you know if you have a car like her and dress like her and are articulate like her then you have all these protections but you're one bad night and like just losing your id and phone away from not being taken seriously right. and i do feel like there's stories a lot of people escaping bad situations and not being believed like or giving evidence of like people being fucked up and then we find out later oh yeah these people gave evidence like the thing in uh florida where this guy's like hey my roommates had like the biggest storage of guns ever and the cops are like sure buddy uh, you're calling out fascists. You're probably wrong. And like, I just feel like it's such a constant. Yeah. Um, but also, they don't want to help anybody anyway. So <laughs> that that yeah, whole, it's, it's a big that asshole. whole bit where when she approached the police officer and put her hands on the car, <laughs> and he's just like, "Take your hands off the car." Was just yes. like <laughs> it, you know, because I've had I've had a lot of really negative encounters with police officers in my life. And it felt that was like such a real way for an encounter with a police officer to go. If you are in a particular kind of neighborhood and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know very much about this director. I was not a white kids, you know, uh, guy, but it felt like he at least talked to someone who, has has yeah. spent some time living mm-hmm. in a low income neighborhood because that was real as fuck. And all the lines, like the only crime I've seen so far is you breaking this window. And it's like, dude, first of yeah. all, you didn't see me break the window, and second of all, I've just, of course, you didn't see it. I just described being kidnapped. Like, just they just say these yeah. bullshit platitudes and believe them. You're lucky I don't take you downtown to sleep this off in jail. I'm lucky. Look at me. Do I look lucky? Even if I'm fucking lying. <laughs> Do I look lucky right now? Like, it's just they were all the kind of platitudes cops say all the time. Um, well, I don't have any other big thematic things that I think we didn't touch on. This has been an awesome discussion. Uh, do either of you all have any thematic kind of political things you want to bring up? Otherwise, I was going to ask a couple questions about just, like, the movie as a thing. Um, I meant to bring up in the beginning... Uh, to do a joke where I actually accidentally watched the movie Barbarians instead of this. <laughs> so I was gonna do Conan and the Barbarian. 
or Conan the well, Barbarian, mine, but mine's better. Yours is better. Did you? Oh no, Charlie, that's the wrong one. Ah, one of these times you're but... gonna get us. It's <laughs> so good. I've never seen Barbarians. I haven't either, <laughs> oh, but okay. it's just pretty funny. Oh yeah, it's the one with the uh, two wrestlers, uh, the Barbarian brothers, the wrestlers. Oh okay. And I think they're like barbarians. Mm. Hell yeah. I think it was on my cannon. Um, what'd y'all think of the soundtrack? It was solid. It didn't particularly stand out to me, but, um, I mean, I was thinking it was good throughout, but. I can't remember anything about it. it Nothing. It was, it was kind of like, I mean, it was clearly like a lot of horror movies are kind of inspired by, uh, just anybody using synths in horror, I think of what's his fucking name. Oh right. Oh, I mean John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah, that did have that. Yeah, like not that it was a super Carpenter-like soundtrack, but just the fact that it was like simple synths to accentuate things. Um, I didn't think it was incredible, but I liked the theme and I liked how sparse it was. I really liked how, mm-hmm. other than the music blasting when it switches scenes to AJ which was fantastic I think of him singing that was fucking fantastic yeah uh I god sorry I just wanted both of the transitions that one where it had the music and then the other one where it transitioned to Frank in the past and it's a fisheye were like awesome ways to jolt you out of the scene you're in and realize you're in something new so good that um so one other thing from the interview is he talks about how he had no like preconceived idea of how he wanted the story to go um so he would just write and write and if he got bored of a scene then he would just try to come up with a completely different scene that's kind of how the structure of the film formed uh, nice i bet they refined it a little later because you can tell it was like as soon as you have a revelation it changes like as soon as you're <laughs> like oh this is what the thing is in the house boom you're onto a new scene and then as soon as you're like, oh no, she's stuck down there and this is what it's doing to them, boom, you're seeing Frank in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, what? It, I liked that structure a lot. The scene where we see, where we meet Frank is beautifully done. Like, it's so yeah. surreal and yes. it's just like the camera just feels like, you know, it's just a steady cam, but it feels like it's just like, you are a participant in this dream that is going on. Yes, fully dream. The fisheye, the colors, and the fact that he's floating through this beautiful landscape with just this dreary, weird tone, like steady tone and just measured Mm. movements. It's like he doesn't belong there at all, and he can feel that and we can feel that, you know? Mm -hmm. I wonder how they did that. The street, like the all those houses were fucking dilapidated. This didn't seem like a huge budget movie. It looked a little shiny and fake, but I don't know how they did it. That's a good question. I feel like in the interview, maybe he talks about it, but in a part that I haven't listened to since this movie came out, so I hmm. could be completely wrong, and I don't remember um, if he actually even talks about it, but I feel like that's touched on. I mean... You want to listen it to that could have just been a completely different place. You know, it it wouldn't totally shock me if they found they're like they found a house that looks like this house, 
Well, the house next to it too, and the ones next yeah. to it, the spacing was exact. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know, I don't but know I don't know that. which one's fake. You know, mm-hmm. I really liked how they revealed the neighborhood too. Like that, it starts so tightly on Tess, and it's so dark you can't see. And then in the morning, you can see how yeah. like it's like a surprise to her that this place looked like it was fucking bomb. Right. When I saw this in theaters. Um, yeah, the the opening scene was so dark. I couldn't really tell that the it was such a um, rundown street. So when that happened in the morning, I knew nothing about this movie going in. I was like, "Wait, is this some kind of like dimensional, <laughs> like uh, like supernatural type of thing?" Where all of a sudden she wakes up and the streets completely changed, and it's just bombed I mean, out neighborhood. He, he <laughs> brings up that it's. But, uh not a great neighborhood and that's why she should not wait in the car with specifically with the line i don't know if you've seen the neighborhood which is interesting because she's been there but she hasn't seen it neither have we yeah um i i also i don't know if this is a stretch but it feels interesting that like at night you can't tell how fucked the neighborhood is and the woman Mm -hmm. will only the mother will only go out at night and i don't know if that's tied in or not but it's just kind of interesting this is maybe another quick aside something that i thought about that was kind of weird is that except for andre there's no one else in this neighborhood at all it's not yeah it's not actually it doesn't appear to me from you know we don't spend a ton of time there it doesn't actually look dangerous except for well these old white people who live in this yes this house mm-hmm. The people who have been around there are either gone or they know not to go there That's anymore. True. But the cops yeah. don't know at all. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. You get the sense that there's a whole bunch of like word of mouth to not be anywhere near here, but the cops have no mm. idea and think it's crazy to get a call from this. We're not going to help. Maybe that's why they won't help when they she calls. Who fucking knows? Yeah. I mean, people in the community know and cops aren't part of the community. Yeah. Also, cops don't like being in danger, as we've seen. That's um, very true. But I don't think those second cops gave an air at all that they knew shit. They were just like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, the first phone call, it was interesting. They said, we don't have any units. It's like, I bet if I was calling from somewhere else, you'd have some units and you'd have a different tone. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of really nothing amazing visually in this movie, but everything felt very intentional, like the tightness of the first scene outside of the house, the way that the the stuff is shot with the with the guy with Frank in the past, it all worked really fucking well. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a, a beautiful, beautiful movie. Like like technically really, really proficient. Just in all of it. it the basement felt really claustrophobic and the I mean, everything felt kind of claustrophobic to a certain extent. And really, like, yeah, the sets were all really great, and everything felt like it served its purpose. It felt like a really economical movie. There were no extra scenes. Except for the scene where, I mean, I get, we've we've got to it, but the scene where Frank killed himself is, like, the only scene that felt a little extraneous. And that's what makes me think it was on purpose and i don't know that but it feels like if everything else was so tight and well done then the big moment where you meet the big bad guy being nothing is feels almost like it has to be intentional no i i agree i i think you're onto something don't get me wrong 
but just when I was watching it, I was like... 100%. Yeah, that was definitely a scene where I didn't... It wasn't like... I kept feeling this adding and adding and adding and adding as I'm watching, and that one was like a, uh, wait, why aren't I adding? Um, it is interesting, because the, the way that they enter the tunnel is to literally like tugging on, tugging on a thread and and it it feels almost like like you're like we're pulling on a thread we're we're seeing like why is shit scary you know like at a very bare bones level like why are things scary and you keep pulling and pulling and pulling and keep walking opening other doors new truths and at the end of it there's just some old decrepit evil white man (laughs) and we haven't even mentioned like how cartoonishly big under that house was like i have no thought as to (laughs) who carved it out or what but if we are talking about just from a plain like on the nose perspective beautiful little airbnb whether it's the airbnb or it's the white picket fence astroturf lawn you don't understand what's underneath here. The looks can be deceiving kind of shit. Like shit's dark and deeper than you think it is. <laughs> but yeah, I can't, no part of me, I did have practical concerns of like, oh, is the woman going out and stealing food? Like how's she eating? Okay, they say she's going out and I, but I had no practical thoughts yeah. about where that basement came from. I, have you ever been to the Wikipedia article also, for hobby tunneling? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's why I figured that was just you no. Know, he's into. But, I'm sorry. I'm thinking more of that Reddit post of the the girlfriend who's worried. <laughs> or like I think it's an am I the asshole about her boyfriend? Like all he wants to do is go dig his tunnel, and she's worried about his safety. And do y'all know what I'm talking yeah. about? It's yeah, yeah, classic. Sounds vaguely familiar for sure. What were you gonna say, Charlie? I think that also says something about how you know we talked about how uh, AJ discovering the tunnels and how excited he is, and just not scared worried or curious at all but also it's like he bought this property or sold this property it's like obviously just gone through the hands of all these people who just don't have a care to even really even look at the property it's just something that they're just flipping around between each other and yeah it obviously hasn't been in the hands of anyone who actually gives a shit about the place because otherwise they would have found that there's this fucking secret t- giant tunnel in the basement. Well, and all um, they care about is the ability to resell, right? So, like, they are painting it nicer yeah, and exactly. finishing it. But even if they pulled the string, they're like, let's close that up and see if we can Airbnb this out or if we can <laughs> sell this. You know, we don't need to know. Uh, my only other note is that I thought the actors all did a really fucking good job. Jess was fucking awesome. That, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't have her name. Agreed. I thought everyone was great yeah her and keith had a lot to carry on their shoulders in that first scene like all of the intrigue in the movie other than a little camera work is how they play that scene and they it's fantastic yeah georgina campbell she was great she was so good and yeah i and uh justin long was also like he Uh could have been like a they could have cast like a total unlikable like bro or something to like play that part but instead they picked someone 
who is like goofy and you know kind of like someone that like a lot of people might feel comfortable with which makes his character yeah. even scarier am, am i remembering right yeah. that he was kind of involved in an early stage like he's a producer on it too or something or maybe i don't even I know think that i just scars guard was oh, okay interesting i just remember hearing like oh justin long is working on a new project and i didn't think of it as an acting thing doesn't say he's a producer or executive producer maybe i just uh misunderstood but yeah that. he was great and mm-hmm. such a good casting choice like you're right barto like they easily could have gone with just like an unlikable creep and they went with a guy who just like with Keith in the beginning, like you can probably tell way more that Justin Long is a piece of shit, especially because of the accusations, but you don't know. All you have is this little phone call and, you know, like he's obnoxious, but it's also, it's like obnoxious how he's singing in the car and you're like, oh, look at this douchebag. But it's also a little bit like charming and fun. All of his douchebaggery has a little bit of charming and fun too. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, When his... I don't know, there are his agents or lawyers calling him at mm-hmm. what that break the news about the accusations. Um, the male was very much bro-y, doesn't want to really uh, upset him too much. And the the woman seems kind of, there seems to be like a tone of like disgustedness uh, underneath her voice and like doesn't really give a shit about it. This guy uh, doesn't worry about him, uh, isn't super worried about upsetting him. I don't know. I was just reading that into it, but that's kind of feeling I got. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's all, all of the, you know, he had a similar interaction with his, his guy friend that he had. There's, I think just mm-hmm. kind of a, a feeling once you get to a, particularly among certain classes of, men that like you know chicks just lie about this stuff or like you know whatever you know like the the seriousness of it isn't taken particularly serious i think i hear that i also thought in that first phone call i kind of thought the the woman even though she might be more disgusted with him or taking it more seriously was also the only one who kind of had his back in the sense that she'd actually tell him what was going on. Like the other guy's just like, you just need to calm down. And he's like, I just tell me what happened. And she's like, yes, that is what she is saying. And it's like, fuck man, if I was on that phone call, that's what I'd want to hear. I'd want somebody telling me what's actually happening. But the guy seemed to not give a shit. I will say, Mm. especially the guy on that call was the one piece of acting that I thought felt a little force or hokey. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, like caricatures of like it. It reminded me of like us trying to do an intro that's scripted. Like it's not quite there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but we got we get the gist. We're very good at it. We're very good. But but then again, <laughs> we're talking about how people put on voices and play characters. That's true. Just him could just be him playing a hey hey yeah man everything's okay character. Sure. I just I didn't You're get any good. of the everything's okay vibe from from him. I got to like I, I mean yeah maybe not fake. everything's okay but but hey hey man just you know it's keep a cool head. Yeah, things are messed up, but we'll get through this type of thing. Um as a, I just yeah, I didn't get any of that. I just got a flip kind of flippant like 
Hey, man, like, I don't know. He just said everything really vaguely. Like, he, he I guess he did give him, I should give him more credit. He did give some of the hard information. He was like, it's more likely that if it goes through, it will go through not with you. Um, but it was, yeah, said in very, mm. like, uh, uh, what's the word? Like, you know, dancing around it language where the woman was more like, yes, she's saying that you raped her. Um, yeah. Totally. But yeah, he was definitely broy for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, should we get to awards, folks? Or do y'all have anything else? It felt pretty good to me. Yeah, this has been an awesome mm-hmm. discussion. I always come to these things like hoping that I have ideas that make sense to other people and also hear other things that make more sense of the movie to me. And that's where I'm at right now. Um, how? Who wants to start with favorite shots? I got two. Both of the mother. The scene where she's just about to walk into, or AJ is about to walk into Frank's room, and he turns around, and Mother is right at the precipice of light and darkness, and kind of like backs in. Very creepy shot. Very good. Yeah. Very foreboding. And the other one of Mother, when she jumps off that fucking tower. And we are we are looking up at her as she's jumping down. It's silly. It's definitely silly. It's yeah, supposed it's to be silly, creepy. but it's like very effective in like this is a ridiculous thing happening. <laughs> this is and it's yes. like this is a ridiculous movie. And it's really yes. just letting me know that. And I loved it. I loved it. Hell yeah. Yeah, I liked when she popped AJ's eyes and <laughs> fucked his head up um yeah that shit was popping (laughs) nice um i keep doing this but i have a lot uh i really most of the shots i liked were i thought this movie used darkness super well uh like the shot you were saying barto um i already mentioned the neighborhood but the the first shot of the movie where you know the house kind of rises up from the street or appears to the car pulls up the sounds are getting creepier and the music's getting creepier and more intense and like there's voices and shit and then the camera goes into the window of the car and it's silent and i thought it did an awesome job without saying anything of accentuating like the difference between tess's world that she's bringing with her and this world she's about to step into um the dark stuff in the passages was awesome, but I'll say especially the flashlight blinking. It's such a tried and true Resident Evil fucking thing, but it worked so well. Um, and just the one she runs out of the darkness and smashes Keith's head against the wall. That was fucking intense and really well done. So good. So creepy. Yeah, that was great. You're like, you're getting a taste, you're getting a taste, you're getting a taste, and then they're like, here's the whole fucking meal. Like, you get to know what's happening now. Seeing that in theaters uh, was great. That coming out of nowhere, and I remember people in the theater around me kind of, like, jumping in, being like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that was really good. I, I... I don't know if I liked or hated the shot, but I also, you remind me of it bringing up that Resident Evil is, there's a first person perspective shot with um, oh yeah, uh, AJ where he's holding the yeah. knife out and it looks like it's straight up from a video game. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I like or dislike the shot, but I'm definitely noting it in my brain. <laughs> I liked <laughs> it. I liked it. But I, yeah, it was, it was out there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, dumb cop of the week. 
One of the. It's a hard one. One of those the, fucking dumb cops. Yeah, the cops. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess it could be the one that she calls, but I think it has to go to the two that actually show up. Yeah, um, they're they're just regular ass cops, so you know. Yeah. Give them the award. <laughs> yeah, and like, there was part of me that's like, are they even dumb cops, or no. are they just, <laughs> just? don't give a shit they're, like they're cops like dumb cops in the a cab sense that all cops are dumb cop of the week <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. what about praxis award gotta be tess oh yeah okay gotta be tess she you know like hell yeah she made a lot of decisions that i wouldn't have made but she made them she- because she was just being completely selfless. Like, yeah, she just kept going to danger because the, yeah. there was someone who was needed help. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Totally. Good answer. Charlie. I mean, those cops, they went to save the people when they heard uh, shots were fired. <laughs> they went right back in their car to go help them. <laughs> Is that your final answer? I Tess and um, Andre, I guess, were two. I'd give it to them. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Andre. Uh, Tess was awesome, but Andre, like, letting her stay at his place, trying to save her in the first place, uh, fucking solid, solid move when you have so little and you offer so much. Yeah. I'm also going to say, I'm going to throw one in there. Keith, for giving her that really cool technique for how to get a sheet. <laughs> On a comforter. Yeah, dude. Speaking of that shot where oh. he's under the sheet and looks like a ghost for like just a second, actually pretty disarming. Really good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Well, all right, folks. Uh, well, thanks so much for listening. We're glad you're here. Uh, don't forget to get ready for next episode where we're covering the 1976 King Kong. And if you haven't already, you should check out our last episodes on the, all the previous King Kong movies. Uh, you can find us on all your podcast apps wherever you're listening right now. It would be awesome if you click some of those stars and write a little review. That would really help us out. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at NoGodsPod. And we love it when you interact with us on there. And you can email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, give your local Andre some money or some food or something. Uh, just give homeless people stuff. 